welcome to the new episode of Supply Cast, the podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. On the program today is Carl Melise. Hi, Carl. First of all, thank you for finding your time. Uh, always happy to help, and uh, um, thank you for inviting me. You're very, very welcome, Carl. Um, we usually start off by asking you uh, what your current job title is. So I'm the Associate Director of Procurement at London Northwest University Healthcare Trust. That's in Northwest London. It's part of the Northwest London ICS, which includes trusts like uh, Imperial, Hillingdon, Chelsea and Westminster, and uh, Central Northwest and London Ambulance Service. Great. Do you know what? I've, uh, it's become a reoccurring theme on the podcast. I can't believe how long some of the job titles run. <laughs> but uh, and that was another one. We had a short one last week, but it, you know, it, it's <laughs> it's all good. Um, I've I've got I, I've got to mention this before we started recording. I was talking to Carl, and we somehow got into a, a conversation about searching when you if you search search your name, um, whether it's on Facebook or. And, um, you know, because of, because of when I was saying to Carl that, I kind of thought, I might be the only Bruce Ackland in the world. <laughs> and then you sort of search and find out they're all over the world. And, you, you know, you're, you're slightly disappointed. But, Carl, you, you were telling me that you discovered that you knew everyone. Well, uh, it, it's a strange thing, because um, when I grew up, when I grew up with my mum's side of the family and didn't know much about my dad's after they um, divorced. And so... Uh, we became closer, and uh, when he when he sadly passed, he said, "Right, know your family." So I decided to know my family. How difficult can it be? So I put in more lease uh, um, in Facebook, and lo and behold, there were hundreds of them all over the place. They'd been obviously populating half of West London and um, a fair portion of the world, but every single one of them that I had um, uh, found was related. <laughs> I love it. Really obscure. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so where we're going to start off with, I was just turned to a little bit again before we was recording. There's a couple of things that um, just that I normally ask the questions are. The first one is, how did, first of all, how long, how long have you been in procurement and how did you get into it? Uh, I've been in procurement since 2011. I used to be, for my sins, a service manager. So I ran sort of, you know, really earthy um, things like, waste and recycling services and graffiti and enforcement. And then there was this huge change where they were moving service managers into procurement as a local authority uh, manager. And I thought, well, it pays a lot more than I was getting before. And I thought at the time there was less responsibility because I didn't have the teams of refuse men and street cleaning. I only had like Mm -hmm. six people. And so I'd done a couple of contracts and I thought, you know, What's the worst that could happen? Famous last words. So here you, here you are. I was working for a wonderful organisation called Richmond Council. Okay, beautiful, yeah. Beautiful people. And, and here you are now. And here I am now. So I've had several iterations of a journey, which was from Richmond Council to Brent Council, and then shortly at Harrow Council. And then a friend of mine said, come on with the NHS. You'll love it. And uh, I said, okay. He said, it's a bit crazy. It's not the structure that I'm used to from local authority. He says, but then 
once you get here, you know, you can make um, some really good changes in a very short period of time. So I've been here in the, uh, this is my first job in the, um, in the NHS. I've been here since uh, uh, 2017. And, and you're enjoying it? Do you think you're going to stick with it? Are you going to stay there? Do you like the sector? I always go into a job and say, this is the job that I've always wanted in my entire life and I'm going to stay here forever. And, you know, things change and, um, and you know, circumstances change. And that's been my driver. I'm not uh, a particular sort of career, two years mm-hmm. here, three years here kind of person. And I live locally, so this has a particular sort of resonance with me. Do you, um, there was a couple of uh, topical elements that are floating about at the moment that I was going to ask you about. We touched on one a little bit, a little bit um, earlier before we started recording. Um, and I want to sort of catch up with it now, which is about the, um, the plans for the national standardised uniform for NHS England. What are your feelings on that? I know you have some feelings. I'm cheating a little bit here because we had a brief conversation about it. Uh, what, how, how, do you, how do you see that? Um, so, do you support it? I remember at Christmas playing a, a game called Pass the Bomb. And so everyone passed it to somebody else and then um, you lost if it actually went off. Nurses' uniforms have been um, very personal to different organisations. The logo will be that what shade of, of blue they have or what colours they have. And so in some respects, the national contract is a very good driver for change throughout the organisation and health and standardisation. Procurement is a no-brainer. If you, have, um, if you can consolidate and have fewer suppliers, you can have some strategic discussions with them and make some, um, some key savings. And I think that's what we are aiming to do. So for me, it started off with a very sort of brief conversation with the Deputy Chief Nurses at Carl. We're doing a nurses' uniform. Can you help? And of course, energize the bunny full of enthusiasm. So yes, of course I can. And then I thought, well, as part of the ICS, I should have that discussion with other heads of procurement, which I did. And they were, I was surprised at how enthusiastically they wanted me to do this, as opposed to them getting involved. And I think, in hindsight, I understand why they didn't want to do it themselves and get over. And so, you know, um, again, being one of those procurement heads, in for a penny, in for a pound. If you're going to do it for yourself, do your ICS, open up the contract. If it's going to be national, have, have a word with the supply chain and see what they're doing. And so from us being only in our little trust, uh, we are, as an early adopter, it now seems that we're going to have a discussion on how the contract works for the whole of the country and, you know, drill back down to our particular um, trust or ICS. So as they say, you, you're the right person to ask, Carl. That question. <laughs> this wonderful way of, of volunteering for things and then thinking, what am I just want? <laughs> uh, the the other thing that we was, we was going to touch on as, as as well was the value based procurement. Uh, the, the move towards you know the the concept of moving towards that. Um, I said I, I actually I, I said value based procurement because I was saying to to, to Carl that um, I find that it v VBP, I just find it's a real mouthful. <laughs> you never put B and P together. If that is, is, is yeah. we, need to, we need to try and change the B, really. So, um, but I mean, 
Hey, you work with what you got, don't you? Value-based procurement. Uh, how do you feel about the move towards that? What are your feelings on that? I think that, um, particularly in the NHS, it's been a race towards the, you know, at the bottom, for want of a better expression. So we have been um, pushed on price for year and year and year and year and year. It gets to a point where there is no other um, avenue for saving, uh, or the, the avenue for savings is greatly restricted. And then you look at whole life costing of something, or you look at what is the value to your organisation of a particular item. So I think that that is a wholly pragmatic way of looking at things. Instead of looking at just price or whether or not it's the best, let's let's make a, 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 a strategic assessment of the best product and the best value for your organisation and for the NHS. And I think that um, it's something that we should be doing, looking at the whole sort of spectrum of what it does and you know adding things like um, carbon footprints and and whether or not we're going to um, add social value into our procurement etc so there's a whole sort of um area of value that we can add whenever we're doing procurement which we should really be thinking about looking forward seeing as i'm picking your brains a bit here here, here carl the uh, green paper on transforming public procurement uh, it's another thing that's been in the news a lot. Obviously, the, we had we had it announced. People fed back, including the um, HTSA. They they provided a lot of feedback back to it. This week, we've had them return and say that they've picked out central themes around it. What's your broad take of that document and and that that concept of transforming public procurement? Obviously, kind of in you know in the uh, afterflow of the COVID peaks. It, it's not only in the afterbirth COVID, I think the green paper was uh, mainly driven by Brexit and the fact that we no longer have OGU. And so some of those discussions, some of those avenues for OGU, you know, um, open, restricted, et cetera, are will have to inevitably change. And we're restricting the amount of, um, well, the green paper proposes that we restrict the amount of avenues that, that we have uh, when we are procuring. Um, I think that the, um, Procurement needed to change. It needed to come in line to what not only what is is open and transparent, but also what um, we voted for when uh, when Brexit hit. So it's not just a question of um, the legality of it. It's also a question of what is fit for purpose for our us as a country or us as, as an organisation. Um, yes, there are lots of things which will change, and you know, change is often scary, but. Um, we've had various situations of, of um, legal changes anyway, and so what will be, we will certainly make work. You know, it's interesting because I often, you know, I had a long career in, 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 in the news prior to uh, somewhat changing, almost a uh, poacher turned gamekeeper type thing I did because I went from press to kind of communications. But um, one of the things with news that I'm always fascinated by is obviously we've been absolutely dominated by COVID for the last year and a bit. You always think to yourself, what would have been on the news if COVID hadn't happened? You know, what would have been, because you've always got to fill it. So what's been bumped out? And I guess one of the main things is, is Brexit. Because everything was Brexit prior to COVID coming. And now we've had an amazing little amount of, of Brexit. You mentioned Brexit there. Um, how are your feelings about how Brexit's going to affect what you do, because it's almost a question that doesn't get asked. 
uh, certainly not much publicly because everything's dominated by, you know, it's dominated by COVID. I think the only time COVID hasn't been on, on, on the front page of the last year and a bit, you know, is the uh, European Super League, virtually. So what, what, um, what are your feelings about Brexit right now? Because it just it seems to have been kind of passed, it's just a massive thing. It just seems to have been kind of parked a little bit, doesn't it, while we're all covering COVID? I, I, I think people's view on Brexit depends on what side of the, the, the fence they, they right. sit. So uh, it will uh, make um, procurement in some respects easier because um, some of the the um, tenants that we have from from Europe will be changing, and some of the rules that we have will be changing. And it will make it easier for negotiations, etc., and make that smoother. If you're looking at the other side of it, it's going to make it more difficult when we're buying things, for example, MRI scanners from Siemens in, in Germany coming over here. They're going to be, um, it, we've already had times where um, they've been stopped at the border or we're paying more VAT and mm-hmm. we're having to do things like vesting certificates, et cetera. So in summer, it depends what side of the fence you sit on. Uh, there will be challenges. There's always challenges whenever there's a change in, uh, in legislation. Um, but uh, you know, we are professionals, and we we uh, make the best, and we move on. Do you feel comfortable that, as, as obviously there was a lot of stockpiling for Brexit, wasn't there? Um, and then obviously COVID, so a lot of stockpiles. Got, are you, you sort of? Are you still? Does it? Does that side of it worry you? The fact that, or, or do you feel sort of comfortable with that? Well. This, the stockpiles were um, not only Brexit, but as you said, COVID. And uh, well, I think, uh, so I come from a local authority um, and uh, I did like 20 odd years in local authority before coming into NHS. They used to run every uh, six months a, a borough emergency. So it would be an emergency situation and they would pull out all the stocks. Sadly, I haven't seen that sort of contingency built in. There are contingency plans, but actually emergency exercises where you pull in the police or whatever, I didn't see that. And that is something that we need to learn as a, as a National Health Service. Uh, when it comes to stockpiling, again, if that was part of an emergency plan and we understood more clearly our supply chains, uh, one of the things which has been a result of COVID is that um, we've started to look at um, local manufacturing or UK manufacturing as opposed to getting things from China mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. in, in America when a lot of the masks that we were using for COVID um, were made by 3M and then you know our friend who's no longer in charge said no America first and they were holding on to them and then China mm-hmm. is the inevitable delay getting them shipped over and because it's like you're dealing with international trade and um, different countries saying, right, we have more money than you. Some of ours were, you know, what a better expression, some of the shipments were gazumped and other countries uh, mm-hmm. took them because they could pay more. So, uh, yeah, in, there are some inherent uh, issues. And these, these were the stories, weren't they, of um, people from other countries literally standing on, on the runways with free suitcases of money and, and crazy stuff. I mean, a, cra- a crazy time. I, I purposely wanted to, and then this podcast is not, it can get dominated by COVID. I didn't want to go down that chain too much, but it's it's nice to sort of, to um, to touch on it there. Perhaps the only thing I would say about COVID to you, Carl, is 
how do you feel the, the situation in, in terms of COVID is where you are at the moment? Do you, you feel do you feel quite relaxed about it? In the, in the first wave, as you said, um, um, it was it was pandemonium. Let's let's be brutal. We talk about a national health service, but um, the national health service is built up of um, different ICSs or different trusts or whatever. And they all, they each have their own sort of drivers. So in the first wave, we were we were buying against each other. And that didn't help when it came to prices. So I remember one day in um, ordering something and it was 30 days on um, receipt of invoice. And by the end of the day, it was 100% upfront. And you'll be lucky to see if you get those items because you're bidding against, you know, South East London or Berkshire right. or somewhere else. Um, in the second way, we spent more time talking to each other and collaborating mm -hmm. so that we wouldn't be competing against each other and had our own sort of stockpile, our own sort of warehouse and discussed what we were doing as a, as a region. So in the second way, it was far more comfortable, even though we had far more numbers uh, in, in hospitals, you know, um, our, the amount that we had in, in London Northwest went up by 25%. Um, but we dealt with uh, the, the, the PPE procurement much, much better. It wasn't that sort of course trading that we had to do before. I think we've learned some lessons, and certainly with my ICS, you know, mutual aid, we've been trading, we've been um, swapping between us if I got masks and somebody else needs them, if they've got gloves and they need them. It's been far better. I still think that there are there are lots of lessons to learn, and I still think that we, we definitely need to start planning and practicing our emergencies um, going forward. So at present, the numbers are down. Um, we are still thinking about a possible third wave and what that will look like. But I'm far more comfortable now than I was at the beginning of this because it was a great unknown. Whereas now, you know, we are, we are far more aware of some uh, situations that can occur. Uh, that, that's, that's great. Uh, Carl, before we just, we're just going to move on past that. I feel like I've really given you a grilling here on some key topics. <laughs> some people have gotten off easier, but, you know, I thought there was a lot of topical stuff, uh, you know, bouncing around the ether that I wanted to get, get, your, get your take on. We're going to move on to the this sort of final portion of the podcast in which we... We let you relax a bit. Not that you weren't relaxed before, but we let you we let you relax more, um, and just try and tease a little bit out of that about yourself and, and your um, personal likes. Uh, so the first one to say is is that this this is the second by the way that I now call Desert Island Supplies, boom boom. Okay. Uh, yeah. And um, what we do is we always assume we're going to plug on Desert Island again. It's plenty of food and water. You don't have to worry about anything like that. To just assume okay. there's plenty of food and water. You've obviously, you've obviously got one essential on you, which is your um, HCSA membership, right? I mean, that's just an essential. I mean, why would you, why would you go anywhere without that? So we assume that you have that in there. So then you just, um, you, you get to take one luxury item, mm -hmm. one album. So there's only one album you can, you can basically listen to the rest of your life, and one film that you can watch the rest of your life. What would they be? So we start with the luxury item. Luxury item would be a show bed. Right. Um, it is the, my only um, part of personal grooming that I ever do, which is to shave every single day. Yes. Yeah. 
as you can see, it, it, I don't stop. It's going to be anything. Same that... as me. Yeah. Same as me. I know exactly what you mean. I, I do. I know exactly what you mean. And I assure you that my luxuriating, if it can be termed as such, would definitely be a razor. I would definitely have my um, uh, my. I would definitely have my set from Harry's. There you are. You, you see. Although, um, other online race, razor companies are available, I believe. But um, but I would definitely have my uh, all, all my gear from from it, Harry's. So luxury and razor. So yeah, <laughs> I agree. What would the what would the album be? Album. Well, uh, many many moons ago, I had the privilege of um, going to a, a wonderful BBC TV program called Terry Wogan, and he was really? he was interviewing at the um, where was it? It was the Shepherd's Bush Studios, and there was a wonderful guy that came in and. When I heard him, when I saw him or heard about him, it didn't really register until I saw him live. And it was a chap called Stevie Wonder. Oh, amazing. He was Stevie Wonder, yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. From the time yeah. he sat down to playing to the way he worked the audience, he was yeah. absolutely phenomenal. So, uh, yeah. absolutely anything by Stevie Wonder. Obviously, I like stuff like Superstition and. Um, once in my life and that, 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 you know the, the songs just roll off your tongue i just had a um sorry i just had to interrupt the podcast for a second there and i'm just just leave it in so that everyone understands because i left my uh, a window open and my my cat i believe just made the guest appearance from the podcast car <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you can hear i don't know if you can hear him right there um what a treat to see stevie wonder live yeah, it that must that, that must have been tru- truly truly amazing. I mean, one of the things that um, I don't want to get into a Stevie Wonder Fest, but why not? One of the things about Stevie Wonder as well is you. I know a couple of people that work that work for a long time in the music industry, and they often will regale you with with, with hero destroying tales mm. of how certain people can be in real life not that great. I know for a fact. Stevie Wonder is one of those great people that literally you could not find on earth anyone to say a bad word against as well. Not that, not that that's everything. You can still enjoy someone's music if they're not, but it, it, it's so much nicer to know that it's from the music. So you would take any particular album of Stevie's or would it just be? Something in the key of mine. Good choice. Stevie. So you've got, you've got your razor. You've got your Stevie Wonder. Yes. What are you going to be watching? What film would you take with you? Now, this is something which my, my family always sort of made me do that sort of ground again. My niece, <laughs> uncle, really, my brothers and sisters. Oh, how many times have you seen it? So I remember being on a holiday in, in Italy with some of my friends, and yeah. this film came on, and it was in Spanish. Right. But I've seen it so many times that I convinced them that I could understand Spanish because I could... <laughs> Recite word for word what they were saying. And it's a film yeah. The Matrix. Called? The Matrix. Oh, The Matrix. Well, yeah. And great it, movie. I mean, a, a great, yeah, great movie. They're making, they're about to make a, a new one, aren't they, after so many, so, it, so many years? It was just, it was just, you know, just the whole world is a stage, as Shakespeare would say. Yeah. And um, what is, what is, what is truly real? Yeah. Was, they, they would sort of, so many sub-levels to it about you know, the power of the state, 
yeah how you could be manipulated um you know there's so many different sub-levels to it i just thought it was phenomenal moving it's obviously got a lot of action in this classic smart sci-fi isn't it Indeed. as well which is what's so great about it well i must i must say carl i think i i, I might get myself parachuted onto that island with you it's <laughs> got, got stevie wonder the matrix and and raises yeah I'm mean, I mean, there I'm there as well <laughs> Carl it's been, it's been brilliant talking to you thank you very much I know everyone's so busy thank you very much again finding the time to do it um, and uh, you know hopefully we've got obviously we've got there's a virtual HSC summer event coming up in, in, in June and then obviously then obviously later in the year we've got the, the main conference which to some degree uh, we would hopefully face to face. So hopefully, you know, I might bump into you there. But have a great rest of the year and and, and, and the summer. And I'm sure everything is well under control with you there, Carl, in that part of London. <laughs> pleasure talking to you. No problem. Okay, that's the end of this week's supply cast. Make sure you listen next week. Thanks. Bye. Mm-hmm.